Good evening. Glad to see you back this evening. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter number four. Remind you of a, some prayer requests from this morning as you're turning there. I ask you to pray for Brother Olin today, and Brother Olin passed away this afternoon, and uh, he's now enjoying his rest with the Lord. And we're so grateful that he has taken him home. There are a couple of other things that I should remind you of. Brittany Sisson is expected to be induced this afternoon, and we expect a baby by tomorrow morning. So you uh, you be in prayer for Brittany and for Matthew. Uh, Mindy Haikoop will be having a PET scan on Tuesday, receiving the results on Wednesday. So you be in prayer for her if you if you would please. And don't forget to continue to lift Brother Bobby and Rebecca up for the sale of their house and for the raising of their funds to begin this new ministry. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 1. According to Charles Swindoll, two of the top prescribed medications in America are Valium and Tagamant. The former is a muscle relaxant to help people deal with stress and the latter stops the flow of hydrochloric acid to ease a churning stomach that is plagued with ulcers. If pharmaceuticals are any barometer to where our culture is at emotionally, we're the most uptight, stressed out, anxiety-ridden structure, culture on the face of the earth. Now, why is that? Because we've never learned how to rest probably because we've never understood what it really means to rest. We tend to equate rest with sleeping in on a rainy morning, with basking in the sunshine on the beach while pouring sunscreen and taking in the latest bestseller, or with an afternoon snooze on the couch to the soothing TV background music of a marching band and halftime activities. But the rest that Hebrews describes is quite different. We don't have to take off work to obtain it, nor do we need to drive to the beach or spend any money. It's available all day, every day, and it's as close as prayer. The people of Israel were so close to entering to God's rest. They literally stood on the banks of the Jordan looking over into the promised land. It was not that they did not understand what God had promised. They just didn't believe God. And instead of building, being filled with faith, they were filled with fear. And they therefore didn't enter into rest. Just as the land of promise stood before the children of Israel, so the promise of God's rest stands before us, but it is not entered into automatically. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we have believed to enter the rest, as he said, So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest." although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. 
and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter in. And those to whom it first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day. Saying in David today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. I believe that this section of the letter to be the most challenging in understanding its meaning. I, under no circumstances, think I have plumbed the depth of the message of this passage, but I do know more than I did the last time I studied it. This evening, I want to share with you a very simple message on the ABCs of rest. The first of which is the availability of rest in verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of us seem to have come short of it. Verse 1 begins with therefore. That's a sign that it's drawing a conclusion from what he said in chapter 3 and verse 19, which is a warning against an evil, unbelieving heart. Twice the writer urged, is his readers to hold fast, hold fast to their confession or assurance of faith. Now, remember this letter is written from a pastor's heart to believers who have come out of Judaism to belief in Christ, yet they are being so sorely tempted to return to the safety of their former beliefs by the persecution they're undergoing. The writer warns them by way of illustration of the example of their forefathers who died in the wilderness. The Israelites had come out of Egypt, but they often longed to go back. And as oppressive and disappointing as that old life in Egypt had been, it still held an appeal to them. The discussion of rest begins in a rather abrupt and startling manner. His first words in the in the original Greek language, the original Greek text is, let us fear. Some of the modern translations say, let us be careful, but I think that kind of diminishes uh, the strength of what he's saying. Let us fear. Let us fear as illustrated by the experience of Israel in the wilderness, a failure to trust God is something to be feared. The phrase to come short of is a very vivid picture of a company of soldiers who's marching in a long line. But there's one person in the company that can't keep step and continually falls further and further behind. They appear to be one of the rest of the company, but in time they fall short. The perfect tense of this verb indicates that this is not a momentary lapse of a brief struggle with sin, but rather a settled condition, an abiding failure to fully enter in. So what is the rest that's being offered here? The word rest 
Trump <coughs> translates a compound word that we get our English word pause from. It means to cease or to stop something. Applied to God's rest, it means no more self-labor as far as salvation is concerned. It means the end of trying to please God by our own feeble actions and efforts. God's perfect rest is a rest in free grace. The Canaan rest for Israel became an illustration of the spiritual rest available to Christians. Unfortunately, there has been in the past and remains today confusion about what Canaan represents for the Christian. We find that confusion expressed in many of the old hymns that speak of crossing the Jordan and entering Canaan as dying and going to heaven. Perhaps you remember this one, old on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. According to that song and others like it, Canaan was heaven and you got there by passing through the Jordan or death. It's a pretty song, but it's not good theology. Canaan does not represent heaven. Evangelist Ron Dunn wrote, Canaan never symbolizes heaven in the Bible. There were giants in Canaan. There are no giants in heaven. There were battles to be fought in Canaan. There will be no battles in heaven. Canaan represents the fullness of salvation, the victorious life, the possessing of our possessions. The rest that the writer of Hebrews refers to can be seen in two aspects. First, when we come to Christ by faith, we find salvation rest. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 when he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It is the rest of knowing that your sins are forgiven, that the load of your guilt has been lifted, and that you have a home in heaven. It is the consciousness that you now belong to Jesus. If you have placed your faith in him, you can now stop worrying about whether you're really saved. You can stop worrying about if you have a place in heaven. There is a poem that says there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, a place where sin cannot molest next to the heart of God. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, promised in Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. The New International Version translates this verse this way, for I know the plans I have for you, declaring the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But don't be confused about this offer is not meant to lead to a life of material riches as some of the prosperity preachers might have you think. The New Testament does not offer that to the followers of Christ. In fact, just the opposite. He does not tell us that we'll be free from the strife in this world. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you will have tribulations. 
Secondly, when we yield to Christ and learn to obey him and submit ourselves completely to him, we enjoy submission rest. The first here is peace with God, according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. And the second is the peace of God. In the beginning, man lived in peace with God. But sin entered into the picture and ruptured that relationship. Now every person who enters this world enters as an enemy of God. Some would like to maintain that although they don't have a relationship with God, they're certainly not an enemy of God. But that's not true. They would like to think they're in some kind of friendly neutrality with God. But the letter to the Romans, Paul explains in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. But God does offer peace to those who want it. Peace is a positive change in a relationship between two people who were once enemies. It is more than just the end to hostilities. It means the restoration of a broken relationship. It is what happens when two people who have been on, not been on speaking terms are reunited. This needed reconciliation is possible because of an exchange. The doctrine of justification says essentially that we have been made right before God because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. On the part of the believer, put faith in Christ and his work. And on the part of God, he cleanses us from sin and credits to us the righteousness of Christ. Because of this, Paul writes in Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace who has made both one. The result of this exchange is peace with God. This is not just a feeling of peace, but it is a state of peace. But please don't be confused. We must, we must first experience peace with God before we can experience the peace of God. The peace of God is, something you, is not something you can manufacture, you can buy, or that you can earn. Individuals gain peace with God when they place their faith in Christ as their personal Savior. And we have that inner quiet peace of God when we walk daily with him. Now, in conjunction with his thoughts on rest, the reader is told that it is by believing that we enter into rest. And it is by obeying God by faith and surrendering to his will that his rest enters us. No more shifting from one to another, never finding satisfaction in anything. So A is availability of rest. Secondly, the B is the basis of rest. There are two obligations that we must understand if we are to obtain this promised rest. First of all, it requires faith. Verse two says, for indeed the gospel, literally the good news, was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Although the good news about God's rest was preached to Israel, it did not do them any good because they failed to believe it. 
just as those who have yet to come into real faith in Christ may be associated with the church in some way, but they have never really committed themselves to Christ. To receive this offer of rest, then we must, we must accept God's offer of salvation personally through faith. The Apostle Paul defines saving faith this way in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of man, but as it is the truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. In verse 3 of our text, it says, For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he who said, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. <clears throat> What's being referred to here, referenced here, is Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2. Genesis 2, 2 says, And on the seventh day God ended, ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. According to Genesis 1, God labored for six days, each day adding more to the creation of the cosmos. Then on the seventh day, he rested. This was not a temporary state, but is God's abiding condition. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. All the other verses dealing with each day in the creation sequence ends with the words, and the morning and the evening were the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. That, that phrase was repeated for each of the six days of creation, but the pattern doesn't continue into the seventh day. The fact that there is no morning and evening statement ending the seventh day is suggestive that the seventh day is unlike the other days. This Sabbath day of rest does not end. God's rest began with the completion of the cosmos and it continues on and on and on and thus it is still available to his children today. When God finished creation, he rested on the Sabbath. Yet it is not a, a sensation from work, but rather the proper repose that comes from completing a great work. Jesus said of himself, my father is always working to this very day, and I am also working. When God finished creating the universe, he rested. When Jesus finished the work of atonement, he cried out on the cross, it is finished. He forever rested from that atoning work. This does not mean that God has become inactive, but rather that his purpose and his plans for creation and for the redemption of mankind were completed. It requires, secondly, action in verse 7. He gives us additional information about the important timing of, 
of this obedience when he says in verse 7, again he designates a certain day, saying to David, today after such a long time as had been said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Formerly he had quoted Genesis 2.2 and now he quotes Psalm 95. The verse points to the truth that God has set a limit on his offer of rest. It will not always be available. But as long as the heart is sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying, so long as one can hear God's call, then there is time to be saved. God's rest is still available. But only God knows how long that is for each person. Today, right now, is the only day, the only opportunity that we have to be sure of. Today is the day to listen, for there may not be a tomorrow. A truth that needs to be recognized is that delay hardens the heart, especially when we are fully aware that we have heard the voice of God in our inner being. Every shrug of the shoulder that puts off action on God's urging for change, every toss of the head that says, I know I should, but I don't care, Every attempt at outward conformity without inward commitment produces a hardening of the heart that makes repentance harder and harder and harder to do. There is another little line that says, and there is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. Not only the basis of rest, but now the character of rest. He says, for if Joshua had, been, had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who entered his rest has also ceased from works as God did from his. In verse 9, it literally says, there remains therefore a Sabbath rest. This special word for God's rest is found nowhere else in the Bible. It is a word that paints a beautiful picture. It is a picture of a farmer who comes in after a hard day of work, takes off his dusty shoes and lies down to rest. It's the picture of a traveler who completes his lengthy journey and finally has a chance to rest. God has his own Sabbath rest for his own true people. Hebrews 4.10 anticipates the final day when we will cease from all our effort and as promised by John in the book of Revelation, enter into the presence of Jesus. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 13 says that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. But the rest of God is not cessation from activity, but rather peace within the toil. The ability to rest while in the middle of life's continual disturbance is an indication of a maturing child of God. Rest then is being at his place, abiding by his timing, doing what he has planned, and depending on his strength and his resources. 
the thought here is of completeness. Not only the nature of that rest, but forth the demand of that rest. Verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone should fall according to the same example of disobedience. The thought began in verse number 6, where it says, Since therefore it remains that some must enter in, and it finds its fulfillment in verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest. The word translated be diligent means to make haste or to work diligently. Some translations of this verse are make every effort to attend the, to enter the rest. But whether it is giving effort or being diligent, it does not mean we need to try harder and harder and get busier and busier doing more and more so that we can somehow earn our rest. God's rest comes by simple faith in the finished work of Christ. Learning to function from a position of rest is the secret to avoiding burnout in serving the Lord. We are to be, as the apostle Paul terms it, co-laborers with God. John Phillips gives us a good illustration of what this means. He says, a man is swept out to sea on a homemade raft. Under pressure of wind and wave, he gives every indication of instant destruction. The man on, on board struggles desperately just to keep the raft afloat. His paddle used repeatedly against the pounding waves does nothing to bring him any nearer the shore. He looks up from his labors and sees a ship come alongside. The, the crew throws him a line and invites him to come on board. He at once abandoned his own efforts to save himself and he accepts the salvation that is now offered to him. He is saved. He, pace, he paces the deck of that great ship with solid planking beneath his feet and massive engines driving the vessel on its way. His standing is now secure. He is taken to the, cabin, the captain who says, welcome aboard, friend. And after some conversation, the captain continues, and now we would like your help. We are short-handed. The cook would sure like to find some help in the galley. Would you be willing to help? That has to do with his state. His salvation is sure. Nobody's going to pitch him back overboard if he refuses to help. But his gratitude is such that he is only too willing to help to get the necessary work done. Helping out on board has nothing to do with his salvation. He can rest in that even though a hundred tasks beckon him on, he is still saved. Here's the point, the conclusion. Here's the thing. The true believer in Jesus can fail as sadly as Israel did in the wilderness. We're living in a world that is barren of spiritual things, as barren as the desert of Sinai was barren of the things that the Israelites needed to sustain themselves physically on their way to Canaan. God planned the wilderness experience for Israel as a necessary step on the way to the promised land. 
I believe that the journey through Sinai was intended to be a brief maturing process. They should have been able to make the journey through Sinai and the promised land in a matter of a few weeks. A means of removing Egypt from the people was what God had in planned here, preparing them for what lay ahead. Canaan could have quickly and effectively been conquered by the people who were ready for conquest. But the people failed to profit from the wilderness experience, and they therefore proved themselves not ready for anything else. And because of that, they spent the next 40 years in the wilderness. What the wilderness was to Israel, the world is to us. God has something better for us than the world. The problem is that we are willing to settle for far too little. In Christ, we have everything we need to experience victory. But as faith was necessary to experience salvation, so faith is necessary to bring us into the fulfillment that there is in Jesus Christ. This rest is available. It's still available. It's available today. But it is that which we have to accept from the hands of God. It is not something we can earn. It's not something uh, that <clears throat> we can make happen. It's something that we receive from God. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for those who've been so faithful to come out tonight. I pray that in some way this uh, discussion of rest might be an encouragement to someone's heart tonight. Far too often we feel like the Apostle Paul when he spoke in Romans chapter 7 of saying those things which I would want to do I seem to be unable to do and those things which I would not want to do I seem to all too often to do. Father, too often it is because we have not relied on our relationship with Christ. We've not, been, we've not put into practice those things that we have learned. Father, I pray that as we go back into this world in which we live, that we'd be able to be witnesses for you. We understand that we are witnesses every day of our lives. We're either a good witness or a bad witness, but we're a witness. And all too often, we are not a good witness of what it means to be a person of faith. And so, Lord, help us to find our and place our dependence upon you and our relationship with you. And may we find freedom, rest, rest from trying, for striving, to realize that everything that needed to be done for salvation has been done. And that Jesus has already made all of that available to us. That we just need to enter in to what he has given us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh